good afternoon, everyone. This is James Votaw with Kellen Heckman. Uh, welcome to our the next installment of our Tosca 3030. This is a a series on uh, a timely Tosca 30 minutes on a timely Tosca topic uh, about once a month, every 30 days. So um, I'm joined today. I'm a, a partner in the chemical control practice here, and I'm joined today by my colleague, which by my colleague uh, Greg Clark who is a, a seasoned Tosca lawyer in our group and has been spending a lot of time in, in recent months getting companies and some trade associations ready for prioritization and, and risk evaluation. So glad to have him uh, join us today. So uh, we're, we thought it would be um, timely to, to talk again and revisit the prioritization process. Um, EPA is expected to identify its candidates for the first prioritization process beginning of next month. Uh, with their deadline coming in in December, uh, and uh, so I think try and focus uh, today on on what companies should be doing um, really over this this next prioritization period over the next nine nine months or so uh, as this first process is going on, whether or not their chemicals actually get identified as the initial candidates. Uh, you know, a number of considerations to try to offer some some insights on that process. So we're going to get a quick overview of, uh, of what uh, prioritization is. It's really the sort of the, the second step in the new risk evaluation process that came with the TOSCA amendments in 2016. The first step was the, the identification of, of candidates that will go through the prioritization process. That part is about finished. Um, so this is the next step here is initial sort of screening process to decide which of those initial candidates should go on. Uh, in the case of sort of high priority chemicals for, for a full risk evaluation or others where there's a low risk that they can uh, sort of drop out, exit the process altogether. But it's a, it's a nine to 12 month process, it's a firm deadline, December 2019, and it results in sort of a binary decision. Either you are high priority and continue on to risk evaluation or low priority and again drop out of the, the, the process. I think one of the, that they Key points we try to emphasize through the course of this talk today is that at least for the high priority substances and these initial prioritization uh, classes, the first sets of candidates, uh, given EPA's deadlines, it's highly likely that the high priority substances that are candidates that are, uh, uh, are proposed you know, will be found to be uh, high priority and will go on to risk evaluation. Um, there's not likely to be a lot of uncertainty. So for those chemicals uh, and the companies and, and industries involved, they should really think of this 90, this uh, first year of prioritization really as the run-up, um, your opportunity to get ready for the risk evaluation process that will start in earnest in January. Uh, so we were talking about the, uh, the prioritization process. The, the decision criteria that EPA has to decide looking at some, uh, a number of, of criteria that are specified to the statute, but it's, it's a relatively low bar. The question is whether the manufacturer processing use or disposal may present an unreasonable risk uh, because of potential hazard and a potential route of exposure. There's only risk uh, criteria are involved, um, and, they, and any one use, any one kind of application may be enough to keep the chemical um, in the high priority category. Low priority uh, chemicals are only those that don't meet, that can be demonstrated with evidence not to meet the uh, high priority criteria. And EPA says that though, you know, for those, 
it's only those where um, you know or exposure or hazard um, are are going to be demonstrably you know low or non-existent. So uh, a, a tough bar. Uh, EPA as when it proposes the make go to the next slide. So here's sort of an, an overview then, uh, an overly complicated diagram based on a diagram from the uh, EPA has distributed, we have sort of elaborated on, but uh, the, you see the first arrow on the left, the far left, the pre-partization, that's sort of where we are now, and we're about to enter the, the, the box, so the EPA will issue a Federal Register notice that identifies the first 20 candidates uh, which EPA is, is likely to propose as high priority, and then another 20, which it was likely to propose as, as low priority. Um, and then immediately it's going to be followed by or simultaneous with the initiation of a uh, public comment period. This is, you can comment on the, prior, you know, the, the selection of the candidates, but this is really your first opportunity to develop, it's a data call, and it's really your first opportunity to fill out the record with, I think, relevant information, not only for prioritization, but really for risk evaluation. That this is the time that through the prioritization period, EPA is collecting the data that it's, trying, it's going to use for risk evaluation. So it's really very important uh, to take advantage of these, these comment periods. The EPA will, will take, that, you know, take the data and do a 45-day sort of further screening analysis, and then uh, the initiate uh, have a issue a proposal about whether it be high or, or low priority, um, and open another comment period, uh, another 90-day comment period, and then we'll get a, a final decision by December 22, 2019, either uh, that the substance uh, you know should go forward as a high priority uh, substance for for full risk evaluation, a decision for which there is no judicial review at that stage or a determination that the substance should be handled as a low-priority substance, that risk, risk evaluation is not warranted this time. Uh, and there, that decision uh, is subject to judicial review immediately. Uh, so we have, we have uh, put together sort of a, uh, a, a guesstimate, I think, of the timeline, but I think it's pretty well informed that uh, the EPA is, you know, is likely to issue, you know, announce these candidates, uh, the, you know, certainly sometime in March, but maybe early March, um, and so the, the first comment period will start right away. So it's for those who are going to be offering data on these first candidates, you know, your, your comments need to be in, your data needs to be in by the end of about May. EPA will propose the designation by the mid-July. There'll be another comment period. Um, again, of, of 90 days, and then we'll have a final designation uh, by the end of the year. What's important to see is sort of the next stage is see how this rolls right into the risk evaluation, because within three months after the final designation of the high-priority substances, EPA will be um, publishing its pr proposed uh, scope for the following uh, the risk assessment, the, uh, the scope of the risk assessment. Um, so, uh, understand that we are working with very sort of compressed time frames and your ability to in, uh, provide information that's going to influence how the risk evaluation is done next year is really in the next nine months. So with that, I'll hand it over to Greg to tell you how you can use that time <laughs> effectively. So thanks, Greg. Thank you, James, and thank you to those of you on the line who dialed in today. Um, we've broken out our recommendations in terms of what companies and associations should be doing to prepare for prioritization uh, along the lines of the different uh, steps of the process that James outlined. 
Um, there are a number of things that companies should be working on now before any EPA announcement of uh, a chemical that you have an interest in um, for prioritization. And so for some of those substances, 40 of them, uh, the time is uh, very short, and hopefully the companies and associations have been working on these, and we know many who have. Um, but for other companies that, who have substances that won't be part of this, you'll have a longer period of time, uh, obviously, in which to prepare and to move forward and also to take some lessons learned, uh, lessons learned from this first uh, step of the process. Uh, foundationally, it's important for any company that has an interest in a chemical that's going to go through prioritization to understand uh, the prioritization and risk evaluation process. Risk evaluation uh, is going to be a systematic review process uh, where EPA is going to use a weight of the evidence approach, uh, particularly when dealing with uh, existing information on hazards uh, of substances at issue. Um, when you draft comments for these two comment periods here during prioritization, though, it's also important that your comments be fit for purpose, following along this uh, theme of systematic review. James mentioned the criteria for a substance being a high-priority substance based on there being a potential hazard and a potential route of exposure. Uh, so that pretty low bar is something to keep in mind as you're working through uh, developing comments in preparation for prioritization. Also, as an initial matter, it's important to identify uh, resources uh, for going through the process, uh, be that a trade association uh, or a consortium that might be formed as a result. Uh, EPA certainly um, believes that consortia will be formed for most or all of the substances once we get to risk evaluation because that's kind of the format that EPA has set up for the division of uh, risk evaluation fees. Companies should be gathering any previous reviews, any previous detailed reviews of your substance, be that under uh, other EPA programs such as IRIS, uh, be they by other groups such as ATSDR, OSHA, FDA, uh, any reviews that have taken place or dossiers that have been compiled under REACH. And importantly, uh, as you gather these uh, previous reviews, be prepared to comment on what in that review you agree with what you think is good science, where there are flaws in the science, uh, problems with either studies or with assumptions. Companies also need to gather any new talk studies that have uh, emerged since these previous reviews. Um, in many cases, some substances were evaluated uh, 10 or 20 years ago, and there's been further research since then. Um, likely, these have been identified as part of your stewardship program, and so it's good to gather those together uh, for submission uh, once we get to prioritization. Uh, if you have a substance where there are no existing tox reviews, um, the best advice is to run EPA's models. EPA has a, a group of models that they'll use when they're evaluating new chemical substances under the new chemicals program, uh, such as ECOSAR, uh, the analog identification methodology, Oncologic, uh, these models are available, and you can run your substances through there to see um, what results will come out uh, because this is a basis for uh, how we would expect EPA to characterize. The second side, the flip side of the coin here in terms of the other part and factor for EPA's determination of high priority are the conditions of use. So companies and associations should be identifying the conditions of use for the substances. 
um, in particular any recently discontinued uses because that shrinks the potential routes of exposure to that substance. Um, there's data available um, from EPA's website from the 2012 and 2016 CDRs. Um, certainly it's important to review that because that's going to be a foundation for EPA's assumptions in terms of the extent of exposure and the types of exposure. Uh, and certainly uh, that information has been submitted, but there may be flaws or errors in that from uh, certain submitters. Uh, so it's important to be aware of that and see if anything there doesn't make sense. Um, it takes time to gather information up and down the chain of commerce, so that's something that should begin uh, as soon as you can. Certainly as you move down the chain of commerce um, towards processors and users, um, those groups of companies may not have as much familiarity with TOSCA, and so they may not be collecting the same sorts of data or be as familiar with the, the requirements that arise, and so manufacturers um, should consider collecting information from them uh, so that they're prepared to discuss uh, conditions of use. Uh, and for companies, if there's anything unique or specific about how you process a substance, how you manufacture it, any um, specifics that are unique compared to the, the majority of the field, um, that's something to think about because it might not otherwise be represented uh, by other companies or uh, even associations when it comes time to submit comments. Uh, of course, Identifying current regulations applicable to your substance uh, is important. This falls within uh, potential routes of exposure because to the extent there are existing limits on, say, workplace exposures, um, that's good for um, circumscribing the extent of the potential risk. And it's always good stewardship practice to be prepared to respond to any press inquiries, to be able to put out a statement. Um, prioritization is not a finding of risk by EPA. Uh, this is something to keep in mind, um, and it's good to be prepared uh, to answer any kind of inquiries, either from uh, press or from uh, your customers. So during the first uh, comment period, EPA will have, at this point, uh, identified 40 substances, um, 20 and 20 for high priority and low priority likely. Now, EPA won't have proposed, but they'll have given an indication of why they've identified this substance for prioritization. Um, an important first step is to uh, request a meeting with the EPA staff assigned to the substance review. This is a great opportunity to understand EPA's thinking here in ways that may not be uh, imminently clear from the initial announcement. Uh, this is 40 substances that they're going to be identifying. Uh, certainly, they were slowed down by the furlough, um, and so not all the information and all of EPA's thinking may be apparent from that initial notice. Uh, EPA will be posting uh, extensive materials, we expect, to the dockets for each of the substances, so it's important to review those background materials. And then this is the time when you're going to submit those comments and uh, thoughts that you were preparing in the previous step in terms of critiquing existing reviews or particular studies, or uh, if those weren't available and you ran EPA's models and you've identified flaws there. Um, also important to, during this first uh, comment period, submit the data that you've gathered on those uses uh, that we talked about, the conditions of use, and in particular, any discontinued uses. And just before we go on, I just want to add, um, you know, during this first comment period, it is a sort of emphasize the extent to which you know, EPA has sort of signaled, I think, very 
clearly that they that most of the information that they intend to use for the ultimate risk evaluation they intend to collect during the prioritization process they're going to come up as i said you know three months after they're designated as a high priority you know, they will have a proposed uh, scope for the risk evaluation it's really the foundation for the rest of the analysis so you know using this time to really you know go out and find find the information and get it in during this this stage and not waiting till next year I think it's going to be really important uh, you know to get any advantage yes that's an excellent point uh, James um, as the statute requires that EPA move immediately from the high priority designation into risk evaluation, uh, it's very important that the information needed for that risk evaluation be submitted during the prioritization process. Uh, and certainly EPA has indicated in some of its guidance uh, documents and proposed approach uh, that they intend to, to begin with substances where they feel confident they can make that prioritization decision based on the uh, wide availability of information on that substance right now. Yeah, and, and I didn't mean to say this before, but the, they, you know, they have the statutory obligation to make, you know, 20 low and 20 high by December. And so for these initial candidates, um, they, they've, they've no doubt chosen candidates that they, they'll be highly confident are going to fit each of those categories so that they'll meet their statutory obligation. So while in the future candidate, you know, classes of candidates, there may be more uncertainty I think, uh, while I'm sure they have not prejudged the issue, I think they have probably chosen candidates where, where the outcome uh, may be highly predictable. Absolutely. So during the second 90-day comment period, this will follow uh, EPA's proposal of a designation for each of the substances. Um, companies and associations will be submitting any critiques or praise for EPA's proposed uh, designations as appropriate. Um, it's important to, if you're a potential, if you've been proposed as a low priority substance, uh, to not think that this is the end of your work. Um, it's important to support EPA's designation of that substance as low priority. Um, also to fill any data gaps that were identified by EPA either in the first or in the second uh, Federal Register notice or by uh, any other commenters, um, because certainly that's an opportunity for uh, for additional issues to be raised. Uh, so it's important to follow along with those comments as they are submitted, um, and hopefully EPA will be uh, very quick in ensuring that any submissions uh, to regulations.gov go into the docket so that the interested parties have an opportunity to review that with the most time available. Uh, if it's a substance that's proposed for high priority designation, um, you know, we've been talking all along as if you need to be prepared for the risk evaluation process because of that quick turnaround. Um, if you're proposed for high priority and you haven't already, now is the time in this second 90-day comment period to begin the work uh, for your comments for risk evaluation. Begin a systematic review of the substance uh, and be prepared. So if you have a potential low-priority substance, uh, here's some particular things that we think you should consider. And perhaps most important of these is that a proposed low-priority substance has more to lose from the prioritization process than a high-priority substance. As James mentioned, these first 40 substances, EPA is going to feel pretty confident going in um, where they should fall, uh, which means that for high-priority substances, 
there's going to be limited opportunity to move uh, to a low priority designation. Uh, low priority substances, though, um, EPA expects to only uh, select those substances if they're confident um, at the initial stage that they can make a low priority designation. Uh, they can make that f make a finding that it doesn't meet the definition of high priority. But low priority designations can be challenged once they're made, uh, so it's important for EPA to support that and be prepared. Uh, we think that these first 20 low priority substances um, are going to set a precedent, and we think that it's uh, fairly likely that uh, NGOs will be interested in making sure that it's a very high bar for substances to be designated as low priority. Um, EPA is going to be drawing from the low priority, uh, drawing the low priority substances from things like the Safer Chemical Ingredients List, the EPA Chemical Assessment Management Program, and OECD screening information data set. So there's information out there, and this is what EPA is going to use to feel confident that they can be low-priority substances. Um, so EPA is not going to move in with the idea that there might be insufficient information. But if information is raised during either the comment periods that um, undermine or contradict the information that's available, um, by the procedure, if there's insufficient information to make that low-priority designation, then EPA will essentially restart the prioritization process, proposing the substance to be high priority. So it's important to be able to uh, address any comments that come out. And so not only if you move from low to high priority, um, do you have to go through the risk evaluation process, there's also that 1.35 million risk evaluation fee. So there's you know, significant uh, issues that can arise if you uh, don't do your homework and you're not prepared to support the low priority designation. Something perhaps to particularly consider is any sensitive subpopulations uh, that might be raised in comments uh, in addressing that to ensure that there's no potential hazard, no potential route of exposure. And I'll turn it back over to James. Yeah. So it was, we also have some, tried some additional points on for uh, the high priority designated uh, substance or things in that category. And first is one that's actually on this slide. I just want to circle back to systematic review. I mean, that this is, this was a, a, you know, a, a way of, of doing these kinds of um, risk evaluations. I think it was developed in the, uh, the drug development side. But the idea is, is to have a method that is, you know, has a sort of complete, you know, complete view of the literature, uh, an unbiased process that's transparent and producible, sort of higher quality risk evaluations without I think some of the issues we see now in, in sort of a more ad hoc sort of a less less transparent processes but so to be an effective commenter um, you really need to understand that systematic review process and EPA is part of the um, the work done on the first 10 that was given uh, this very good sort of backup documentation explaining that the way that they approached this you know addressing the systematic review uh, uh, methods, you know, in the way that sort of in the selection and weighing of different studies, yet it's all supposed to be done on a rather sort of objective criteria. But to be an effective commenter, you really are going to need to understand that process, and then you can comment on on the decision steps and methods that EPA has said it will use. So that's going to be one of the most effective ways to um, to, uh, to to use the process to to, to get a sort of an appropriate kinds of results. The other 
is uh, is is to find the is to get the information to provide the information. I mean, this is as we said for for the first set of candidates coming through. It's almost certain that they um, that those that are candidates for high priority are going to be designated that way in December. You should really need to use this time to get ready for the risk evaluation process. And you know, to the extent that you know you don't you you know where um, companies and, and industry is not able to fill uh, where there are data gaps, EPA relies on uncertainty factors and and uh, uh, read across from other kinds of you know, similar chemicals. But those, you know, um, you get a lot of, of sort of cascading, you know, uncertainty and safety factors built into all of that. It can be very unrealistic numbers. And the, really the, the best approach uh, is to develop the data, particularly around um, exposures and uses. You've got them sort of the most control. But to really fill in, in those, uh, those data gaps to avoid very conservative exposures that EPA is required to sort of use in the absence of, of, of actual data. And so, Greg mentioned, you know, we need to, you know, focus on not just the workers who may be exposed, uh, but also look at the susceptible subpopulations, you know, pregnant women, infants, fence line communities, um, and the eco side as well, aquatic kinds of exposures. Look at the information that's available, uh, and and the the approach I think that we all we saw on for reach was to do sort of industry kind of specific uses for, for chemicals that may have uses in a variety of, of industries is to develop these sort of exposure um, uh, models along those industry lines and then getting you know that value chain involved in the process. But that, that's sort of the best opportunity to give really um, uh, sort of robust exposure information to avoid having to use um, you know, assumptions or, or conservative modeling. Which um, goes to the, then the next point here is, is that, for you know, depending on the chemical, um, it may really require a lot of sort of cross-industry organization. Um, there certainly are a number of, of the work plan chemicals have industries associations that are sort of chemically you know focused on those chemicals as individuals, but there are you know others where really they're used in a variety of industries, and the manufacturers of those chemicals alone cannot really fulfill this data burden. They really need the the, the assistance of the whole value chain to get a, um, a, a data-based uh, risk evaluation process. So it's going to take some um, some uh, some planning to uh, to sort of pull together all the interested parties, uh, I think, across industries. And I would say though, so, so far we focused a lot on those who are going to be the, the initial round of candidates. Um, I think that you know those who uh, you know, if you're all, you have a work plan chemical, you're not in this first batch. You know, two years from now, you may be you know the next batch that's designated. So this is um, you need to be um, you know planning for that, but you should pay attention to the way the process, the prioritization process, uh, plays out and uh, EPA's approach to it in this initial round. Because again, as Greg said, it really sets the precedent for how this process works for, goes works going forward. And you know, as we work through the the work plan chemicals into to sort of areas where there is sort of less, there may be less certainty about the category at which a chemical might uh, be be uh, pigeonholed. Um, you know, having a, a solid process um, is going to be more and more, more and more important. Um, so. With that, I don't know if you have anything else you wanted to add. Uh, I see we have a, a comment or a question um, of whether there's any assumptions on what EPA will identify uh, as this first group of 20 high-priority substances. Um, 
We expect that those first 20 will come from the work plan, but in terms of which specific substances they are, um, EPA has not given an indication of uh, the identities. Right. And as Greg said, I think in general we expect them to pick sort of substances now for which they sort of a data-rich, you know, uh, database in order to do the decision-making within the time period that they have for this initial batch. Um, so mm -hmm. it may be, you know, more interesting to see sort of the low priorities uh, where, you know, which, which, you know, materials might fall into those, that, that category. Um, so with that, so we're, we are like right at that last minute. So let me just give you um, sort of our, our, our closing pitch. So thank you for, for participating. Um, our, our next Tosca 3030 will be April 17th. We're, we're skipping them uh, in March. We, we're doing um, a series of other Tosca presentations uh, sort of outside this forum at that time. So we'll resume in April. But uh, in the meantime, we also invite you to look at, well, two, two things. One, one is that this and our other prior Tosca 3030s are available as sort of podcasts from our website. You can, you can pick them up there. Um, but we also uh, offer similar uh, presentations, um, OSHA 3030 on obviously OSHA topics. Uh, immediately following this call will be a call on, on REACH. And, um, and then we also do them for, for FIFRA. So please, uh, you can, our website will list those dates as those get scheduled. But uh, I hope that's a useful resource going forward. And uh, so for those who may have signed up to it for or be interested in staying on to hear the, the REACH 3030 presentation, it'll start in about five minutes. Uh, you're welcome to stay on. Um, it, it may be that we have a little technical issue in, in starting up the, the second program. If you get disconnected, please just dial back in. Otherwise, anyone is, you know, is welcome to sort of stay on and uh, enjoy the, the REACH 3030. So with that, thank you very much. Thank you.